as I uh, begin to share just a, a bit of introduction about today's passage, I would encourage you, if you haven't already, to open your Bible to Psalm 61. Have that at the ready. It's also on the talk sheet if you don't have a Bible. There's also a Bible in front of you in the pews if you'd like to turn there as well. We're going to be sitting with this passage for some time. It was April of 2016. Debbie and I lived in Bangkok, Thailand at the time. I was pastoring an international church, about 30 different nationalities represented there. We lived in a community of about 3,000 residences, and uh, that community uh, was populated largely by corporate um, officers from large multinational corporations. The community revolved around the International School of Bangkok, ISB, which was a, is a world-renowned uh, high school, and the, the life in that community really revolved around, around that school. Well, in April of that year, 2016, uh, a tragic accident occurred. There was a, a drowning that occurred. A young man, uh, a junior in the high school, member of the water polo team, certified lifeguard. Um, at the end of water polo practice, everybody left, and he didn't show up at home. And so they began to retrace their steps and discovered that he had had some sort of, I still don't know to this day what it was, but some sort of accident in the pool and... Uh, They found his lifeless body there uh, drowned. It was a crushing, crushing blow to that community. We were the only church in that community, and so we opened up our our doors uh, for prayer, just for people to come, a place of grieving, a place where the the community could collectively mourn uh, the tragic loss of this young man. And then the following Sunday, just a couple days later, I preached on Psalms 42 and 43. And knowing that there would be a lot of people there that did not profess belief in Jesus, did not normally enter the doors of a church on a Sunday, maybe once or twice a year, but certainly not on a Sunday. And I preached on this topic, when God feels distant. I looked back at that because I was looking for clues to help with today's message, Psalm 61. Here's what I said in my introduction. What are we to think? What are Christians to think? What are we to do in the midst of this week's tragedy? Well, we do what we are always to do. We believe. We exercise faith. We trust what we know is true. Even in the pain, when circumstances make no sense, when doubts creep in, we believe. Well, it struck me as I was thinking about that this week that that's, that's a similar situ- situation to what David finds himself in here in Psalm 61. Now, we're not exactly sure of the historical context. It's probably written sometime uh, during David's 40-year reign, most likely toward the end of his reign. But it is apparent that he's reflecting on a time of distance, on a time when God feels distant to him. Possibly it's when his son Absalom had rebelled, uh, forcing David to leave Jerusalem. What you'll notice this morning as we look at Psalm 61, that it is intensely personal. In fact, 14 times David uses one of the personal pronouns, I, me, or my. Now this Sunday, today, we're concluding our fifth summer of preaching through the Psalms. Uh, Every Psalm 
teaches us something about the character of God. But even as it does that, it also reveals something about our posture of the posture of God's people. Because we live in a world of loss. We live in a world of tragedy. We live in a world of death. Now Jesus taught that the Psalms were in fact inspired by God. They were in fact breathed out. They originated from God. And as such, they shape how our minds think. But at the same time, the Psalms mold how our heart feels. So in other words, the Psalms, particularly this one by David, gives us permission to feel. Following Jesus, a life of faith, a life of discipleship, is just not confined to the brain. It's not confined to the mind. It involves the heart as well. And so as, if we listen carefully to David's struggles, our thoughts about God, our thoughts about life, even our emotions will end up being shaped by God. So let's do that. Let's, let's look at, uh, at Psalm 61. It'll be up on the screen behind me. You can follow along in your Bibles. Let me read this for us. To the choir master, with stringed instruments of David. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Selah. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Now, as we've seen this summer, as we've been marching through uh, more than a dozen psalms, we've discovered that typically each psalm is going to have multiple themes. The the songwriter, in this case David, has many different things in mind, but I think a primary thought that he has in mind is this. Prayer closes the gap when we feel distant from God. In fact, the Psalms, uh, this particular psalm opens with David uh, crying out in distress, but it closes, notice, in verse 8, with him singing praises to God. Well, how did he get from point A to point B? We're going to try to discover that a little bit this morning. Let's, so let's dig a little bit deeper. And as we do, I want us to be looking for keys for how we, too, can close the gap when we feel distant from God. And in a, a room with people, this many people in it, there's bound to be at least one person who walked in here this morning feeling very, very distant from God. It's like, God, where are you? Um, I, I, don't, I don't sense you in, in my life. I don't have any sense of your presence in my life. 
And so this morning, I believe Psalm 61 is going to give us some keys, like David did, to close that gap when we feel disconnected from God. The first one is this. It's found in the first couple of verses. When we feel distant from God, we cry out to God. That seems very basic, right? It's, it's right there in the text. It's very simple. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. Nevertheless, this is something that we've seen in the Psalms this summer. It may seem as obvious as the nose on our faces. But when we feel distant from God, what God is inviting us to do is to simply cry out to Him. In fact, how many times have we seen that this summer, the phrase, cry out to God? Back in Psalm 54, that was covered weeks ago. Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. Psalm 55, give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me. In other words, pay attention to me and answer me, for I am restless in my complaint and I moan. Even a month ago, Psalm 57, verse 2, I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. And I want you to notice something here. When David says, I cry out to God, he's not just doing this kind of just uh, willy-nilly, helter-skelter, whatever phrase you want to use. No, he's doing this with intention. He's doing this with purpose because he recognizes that God has purposes for him. So when we feel distant from God, we cry out to God. Specifically, David says, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. And like many psalms, verse 1 is what's called a, a parallelism. The second line further describes, further unpacks what is being stated in the first line. So in other words, uh, David is saying, I want you to hear me, God. I want you to listen to me. His cry is urgent. He's asking God to give heed. He's asking God to literally to pay attention, to incline your ear, to, to bend your ear in order to listen to me. Also, the, the, the term uh, cry is further described by this word prayer. He's not just yelling out to God, but rather he's doing it in the form of, of, of a prayer. He's, so he, he's crying, he's praying out to God, which is the invitation from God himself. Notice in verse 2 where he cries from, where he prays from. He says, from the end of the earth I call to you. When my heart is faint. David is describing some sort of a spiritual geography here, is he not? Uh, his need to feel God's presence in his life. As a poet, he's describing how distant he feels from the God that he worships. If, in fact, his son Absalom is what this is being written about, Absalom has rebelled. He's taken over Jerusalem. David's been banished. It's a very sad tale. In, in the books of Samuel, David's been banished. He's cut off from access to the royal city. He's cut off from access to the tabernacle. He's cut off from access to what he believes where God's presence is. And so, of course, he feels distant. He may not geographically, physically be that far away, but spiritually, he's at the end of the earth. And he says, my heart is faint. Well, he's not just about to pass out here. He, what he's saying is, is my heart is so weak, I'm so distraught, that I am fading fast. I'm in serious distress. I'm close to death. I'm at the end of my proverbial rope. 
He's discouraged. He's exhausted. He's out of energy. He's overwhelmed. Been there? Done that? Experienced that? Maybe this morning, maybe you're experiencing that. I told some guys before the service started that the first thought in my conscious mind this morning when I woke up at five was, you got nothing, Tim. <laughs> it's like, wow. So before my, my feet got hit the floor, it's like, Lord, please help me. There was just that instant feeling of being distant, right? Attack from the enemy wherever, maybe even my own flesh. You got nothing, Tim. You got nothing to offer this morning. Lord, help me, right? Be there for me. Be present with me. That's what David is inviting us to do, is when we feel distant from God, let's, let's make a crying out to Him. Let's make prayer to Him be our first resort, not our last resort. Too often we live like the latter, right? We try every other means to figure things out in life, and then as a last resort, we'll cry out to God. What David is suggesting from his own experience is that in those times of trouble, turmoil, when you're at the end of your rope, your, your, your first resort, our first action should be to simply cry out to God. So that's the first thing. Another thing that David suggests in the, the next couple of verses, actually the end of verse 2 and then we'll skip 3 and jump to verse 4, and, and I believe this is maybe the most significant point of what David's psalm is teaching us today. When we feel distant from God, seek deeper intimacy with God. We cry out to God, we pray to God, but as we do that, let's seek deeper intimacy with God. David says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Selah. It's interesting. He uses three metaphors. Again, David's a musician. David's a poet. He loves to use word pictures to communicate. The rock, a tent, wings. These three metaphors, if you look at them closely, they show a progression. It, they, the metaphors themselves become progressively more personal more intimate. David says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. He's speaking of that, that rocky outcropping, that crag, that natural defense that rises above. And he's seeking to get there in order not to be pursued any longer by his enemies. In fact, the image of the Lord as a rock is a familiar one in David's writings. In fact, this morning we're going to sing about one of those, Rock of Ages, built on this very thought here. But David says, don't just lead me to this rock, but let me dwell in your tent forever. The word tent there could be translated tabernacle as well. In either case, it represents a dwelling place. In David's case, as he's speaking to God, I, I believe he has in mind, let me, uh, let me be in your tabernacle, let me dwell there. Uh, it's a secure place of Habitation of living. In fact, in Psalm 27, David said this, One thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord 
all the days of my life. Right? That's familiar. You've heard that. He goes on to say, He will hide me in the shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. So what David is saying here in Psalm 61 is very familiar. It's very similar to what he has said in other passages as well. This third metaphor, though, is is one that I I think I like the most. He says, shelter me uh, under your wings. Again, similar to what David has said elsewhere, Psalm 57, David says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. This this idea of, of being under the security, whether it's an eagle or... Deb and I have chickens at our house, so whether it's like chickens where the little ones would take, take refuge under those wings. I love that, that sense of intimacy there. I believe David is instructing us to, to not simply cry out to God from our place of trouble, but rather to seek this deeper intimacy with God. In fact, essentially what David is saying is, God, let me be near you, as opposed to, hey God, will you fix this? And how often do we cry out to God and ask Him, God, would you just fix this? Just fix it. And get things back to normal, right? So I don't have to worry about stuff anymore. That's not David's emphasis here. David is saying, uh, he's, he's, not, he's not dwelling on the negative, nor is he asking God to fix it. He's simply saying, I want to be with you, God. I want to sense your presence. I want to be in your presence. So again, when we feel distant from God, we're to seek deeper intimacy with God. And then David uh, uses this this term that we've seen throughout the summer, the term Selah. In fact, it occurs 71 times in the Psalms, and it's most likely a a signal for uh, the singers to stop singing, but for the musicians to continue playing in order that the audience can pause to ponder the truth of the lyrics that they just sang. So that's what it, essentially what David is saying is this, lead me to the rock and let me dwell in your tent and let me take refuge under your wings. He's, he's encouraging us, he's inviting us to stop and let that sink in. Let that become a reality with us as well. Well, when we feel distant from God, David goes on to say, Remember God's past provision. Don't just simply cry out to Him, even while seeking a deeper intimacy with Him, but as you do that, remember what He's done for you. Remember His protection. Remember His goodness. Verses 3 and 5. You have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. You, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Notice the the past tense. Our requests, David's requests, are are based on God's past faithfulness. So when we pray, when we cry out to God from a position of distance, let's remember what He's done for us. Remember how God has come to our rescue in the past. Because our current requests are based on how God has proven Himself faithful in the past. Now, in verse 5, he talks about a heritage. He says, you have given me the heritage 
of those who fear your name. It's a curious statement there. What does that mean? And as you dig down a little deeper into that, there's multiple schools of thought, two in particular that kind of stand out. The word itself, the the word for heritage, or some of your versions might say inheritance, it literally means, it refers to the territory that the nation of Israel possessed as they dispossessed the, 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 the former residents of the land of Canaan. So primarily, this had to do with property, with the land of Canaan that had now become theirs. But what's also included in that are the blessings, the temporal blessings, the spiritual blessings, which, which came implied and even comprised in, the, in possessing that land. A couple of views on this. David is either um, referring to the people that God has entrusted to him as he's king, as part of his uh, inheritance, his heritage. Those in his kingdom who fear the Lord. Or it could be that David is counting himself as part of, a, of a, another group of people. People who have feared the Lord in his past. People who have feared him there. It can go really either way. Um, I tend to go towards the second definition, the second theory on that. And here's why. It's as if David, as he's remembering God's past provision, how God has uh, provided these things, how he's heard his vows, how he's been this strong tower, he, he can't help but reflect on people in his past, forebears, who have also experienced that. In a sense, let me say, put it this way. Even today, all of us, here this morning, we are standing on the shoulders of others who have come before us. I'm fortunate. I had parents who came to faith in Jesus right before I was born, and their lives did a 180-degree turn. And so I was raised in a family that was nurturing in terms of the faith, in terms of spiritual things. And I was taken to a church, much like New Life, where I was fed on the Word of God from a very early age. And I've been told stories by my dad that I had a, uh, his, his great grandmother, um, used to, uh, pray. She was a Swedish woman. He, she prayed in Swedish all the time. She used to pray that God would somehow raise up one of her grandsons or even beyond that to, to serve the Lord and to be a pastor. And I'm, I'm the fruit of that. My dad shared that at my ordination council. I'm, I'm the beneficiary of all those prayers. So in a sense, you could say I'm standing on Many different shoulders to get where I am. Well, some of you might be sitting here going, well, yeah, Tim, that doesn't relate to me because I'm, I'm the only one in my family who has come to faith in Jesus. I'm a first-generation believer. Well, guess what? We have the opportunity to lead those that are coming after us, right? And so that a generation from now or a generation after that from now will look to your leadership and that they'll realize that they're standing on the broad shoulders of people who've gone before them. Most of you probably don't know that I, I have an account on Twitter, and I tweet rather regularly um, items that relate to, most, most often that relate to spiritual formation, discipleship, following Jesus. And I oftentimes will add the hashtag, for those of you that don't know anything about what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. But for those of you who do, the hashtag next generation disciple building. Because I'm passionate about that. I want to see the next generation. In this church, in my own family, I want them to follow Jesus. I want them to be in the process of having their discipleship built up. Next generation disciple building. Well, I believe David is reflecting on that. 
Well, how do I know that? Well, let me just give you one example. The heritage of those who fear your name. Let's talk about David's great-great-grandmother, Rahab. Rahab the prostitute in the city of Jericho, whose life and her family's life was spared when the Israelites came and they conquered Jericho and conquered the land. In Joshua chapter 2, there's this wonderful statement. She asks for protection. Now, this comes on the heels of Rahab professing an understanding and, in a sense, a faith in the God of Israel is the God of the universe. She makes that affirmation. And then she asks for protection. And the two spies say to her, Our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. I love those two words. You're going to see why in just a minute. But those two words, kindly, is that word steadfast love. We've seen it numerous times this summer. It's the word hesed, the covenant love. Love is a result of a covenant or a promise made. And faithfully is the Hebrew word that denotes something that is enduring, that's stable, that's truthful. And again, these two words... Uh, crop up throughout the Old Testament. But it's wonderful that they come out in this statement given to Rahab, one of David's uh, forebears. And you'll, again, you'll see why in just a minute and the connection that I want to make there. But what I believe David is doing here is as he's crying out to God, as he's seeking deeper intimacy with God, he is also remembering the, the past provision of God, God's past faithfulness, even to those that came before him. Verses 6 and 7 give us another key as to closing this gap when we feel distant from God. Let's not only remember God's past provisions, but I believe we can also remind God of His promises to us. By the way, this is not something unique to David. Moses does this. Nehemiah does this. Numerous people throughout the Old Testament in particular remind God of promises that He has made, even as they pray to God. They're not being presumptuous. They're simply quoting Scripture back to God. They're they're reminding God of covenants, promises He's made. And I believe we can do the same. In verses 6 and 7, Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. A point, notice this, steadfast love and faithfulness. The very two words we just looked at in that promise given to Rahab, David prays those same two words here in his prayer to God. A point, steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. Now what David is doing in, in these two verses is fascinating to me. Preparing for today's message It took me a while. I was really stumbling over these two verses because it's like they're out of character. It's like, why do they, why are they even here? They don't seem to belong. You could actually go from verse five right to verse eight and have a nice, tidy six verse psalm and it would all be good, right? But instead, David introduces two verses here, six and seven, which again seem out of place. What I believe David is doing as he prays for the king, I think he's praying for himself. I think he's asking God to prolong his life 
May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever. But even those statements sound a little bit out there because he's praying in such large terms. So I think David is also referring to potentially someone else. Actually, what he's doing here is he's quoting. He's quoting out of a previously written scripture in the Old Testament. In chapter 7 of the book of 2 Samuel, God gives a covenant or makes solid promises to David. It's described in chapter 7, but then it's summarized in 1 Corinthians 17. Here are some excerpts from chapter 17, 1 Corinthians. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers. Now this is God speaking to David. I will raise up your offspring after you. One of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. And I will establish his throne forever. I will not take my there it is again, steadfast love from him, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. David feels distant. He cries out to God. He's seeking deeper intimacy. He's remembering God's provision, but now he's also reminding God of this covenant promise. Now, I'm not David. You're not David. David is quoting uh, the Davidic covenant, a very significant piece of uh, biblical inspiration here. But we can learn from that, right? God has made promises to us as well. In fact, at our Thursday preaching cohort, one of the other pastors said, Tim, if you come up with a list of promises that you're going to share to people, he said, I'd love to see it. I, I didn't do that, but let your mind think on that. Think about the promises that God has made to us. I mean, you don't have to go any farther than just a simple verse that most of us have memorized. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. What an amazing promise that is. And there's multiple other promises that we could, we could list that God has made to us that I believe we in fact could remind God of that. Let's go back to the verse, the two verses again. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness. Literally, David is saying, may the king reign from the time of one generation through the next, and then through the next. And then through the next. Well, how is that possible? Well, this morning, if you didn't already notice when you came in, we're going to celebrate communion. Uh, it's possible through what Jesus has done for us. It's possible um, to, uh, for, for David to claim this promise and for his kingship to, to last from generation to the next to the next because ultimately this covenant that God made with David ultimately finds its expression in Jesus Christ. And we're going to have that opportunity to celebrate that this morning. You know, whenever we preach through any passage of Scripture, particularly in the Psalms here, we're always on the lookout for where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Well, <laughs> that's why these two verses are here, Tim. I didn't just put them in there just because I felt like saying them. No, this is where Jesus is right here because Jesus is the ultimate expression of that. Jesus, in fact, epitomizes the steadfast love and the faithfulness that David is seeking for. Well, all of these keys 
lead to one final thing, and that's found in verse 8. When we feel distant from God, David says, then, like me, cry out to God. But as you cry out to God, seek deeper intimacy with God. And as you do that, remember God's past faithfulness. Even, in fact, remind God of His promises. And now, as a result of that, praise God. Praise God regularly. Praise God persistently. Notice in verse 8 it says, So will I ever, it could be rendered more, I will ever more sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. This psalm shifts from David's cries of pain, loneliness, feeling um, uh, desperate, this distance from God in those first couple of verses, to now he's concluding with singing and he's persistently praising God. He's doing this forevermore. And he's doubling down on his commitment. He's recommitting to daily, day after day, following God. Well, I believe, again, that this psalm is pointing us in the direction of what we're about to do. I I'm so grateful when I realized that this, I was going to preach on this psalm and realized that today was going to be a communion Sunday. It was like, this is perfect. This is wonderful because it points us in that direction. And when you circle back to those verses we just looked at, verses 6 and 7, as I said, Jesus ultimately fulfills all of those promises to David. And the fact is this, the fact is that that, that is good news. <laughs> That's the gospel Because ultimately, it's Jesus. Jesus closes the gap. When we feel distant from God, it's not merely about uh, going through this process, applying these keys and praying that's going to close that gap. Ultimately, it's Jesus who closes that gap. Jesus is, in fact, that rock that is higher than I. When we sing that song in a few minutes, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee, that's the invitation. Jesus is, is, is asking us, inviting us to step into that shelter. He is ultimately our rock. He is ultimately our Redeemer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we begin now to even prepare ourself, ourselves for observing the Lord's table, communion. We do so having been reminded by King David how when he felt so distant from you, he cried out to you. But he cried out to you with purpose. He cried out to you seeking a deeper intimacy with you. Lord, as we have the opportunity this morning to celebrate what you've done for us, your death on the cross. Lord, may you become that much more intimate with us. May you become that much more important to us. As David did, we remember your past faithfulness. Father, we remind you of the promises you've given to us. And we do so with delight in our hearts. We praise you for rescuing us. We praise you for closing the gap. When we feel like you're distant, we praise you that you draw us back to you. And I pray, Lord, that 
as we leave today and as we reflect on the truths of Psalm 61. I pray that this will become a reality in our life this week when we feel distant from you. May we lay hold of the truths, the promises you've given us in Jesus and draw us back into that relationship with you. Thank you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.